Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, the second chapter of the book of Acts. I'm going to read a passage that comes on the heels of the day when the church was founded, the day of Pentecost. Peter, the apostle, has preached to the Jews in Jerusalem who observed the coming of the Holy Spirit to dwell in believers, manifested in this particular case by the apostles receiving the Spirit of God in such a way as that they were speaking the great works of God in other languages. And all of these gathered Jews who spoke these languages could hear them and wondered what was going on. So Peter, having preached and received a response of about 3,000 people, exhorted them, and uh, we find this is the way that they were behaving. Acts 2, starting in verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. In almost any organization it is important that people do their jobs that they carry out the tasks that are there in front of them to do they fulfill their responsibilities as chosen or as assigned however that does not in and of itself make up an organization that functions properly it's also important within that organization to relate to other people properly some of you know this and have learned this the hard way through difficult interactions with co-workers or fellow members of a club or even your own family. But as it is with these, so it is all the more when it comes to serving in the church. Because the church is not just about doing things, but it is about the character that develops in us and that is actually manifested in us as we do those things, it is all the more important that as a church, we don't simply do things and serve in certain roles and tasks, although those are important, but it's also vital that we relate to one another in particular ways that are laid out for us in Scripture. Very often when we think about ministry, we only think about the idea of uh, formal ministry or ministry roles and responsibilities, or perhaps we only think about doing things for people and things that we might categorize under the heading of service. And while those are vital and those are important, um, there is more to the Christian life and ministering to one another than simply doing the kinds of things that we might put in those categories. 
Last time, we looked at spiritual gifts and how we are to use our gifts, the things that we can do, the ways that we are able to serve others in the power of the Spirit. Uh, We looked at the ways that we are to use those things to serve one another, and we are supposed to do that. But what about all of the other things that we're supposed to do toward one another? What about the ways that we're supposed to relate to one another, to interact with one another? When we read passages like this in Acts chapter 2, we start to get a picture of the way in which at that particular time such a thing worked out. Now, of course, this was a unique circumstance in church history. This was the very beginning of the church. There were people gathered together from all over the place who thought they were only going to be there temporarily and then ended up all of a sudden becoming Christians. And they wanted to stay together, and so there was a need for them to be able to be financially provided for. We see this going on even in chapter 4 as well. But what you have is people who are willing to give of themselves to enable that. And at the heart of this is that they wanted to be together. There was life together. And they were relating to each other in particular ways that showed that they were part of one another. They were looking out for one another. They were doing good to one another. You see this here that in verse 44 they had all things in common. Uh, They were sharing their property and possessions when people have needs. They're meeting needs for one another. They are breaking bread from house to house. They're spending time in fellowship. They're, verse 46, continuing with one mind. They're thinking the same way because they're being taught the truth of God and they are aligned with one another on that standard. They're even taking their meals together and there is a joy, a gladness and sincerity of heart that characterizes these things. You have here one glimpse of a particular outworking of what it's like to have life together as a church. And part of that life together, a crucial part of that life together, is what we call the one another commands of Scripture. The one another commands. Now there are dozens of these in the New Testament. And uh, we'll categorize them in a few different ways, but what they are are instructions about what we are not supposed to do toward one another in the church and instructions about what we are supposed to do toward one, or one another in the church. As we'll see, the way we think about each other, the way that we relate when we interact, and even certain things that we particularly do for one another. But that is what we want to look at this morning. We want to consider ministry to one another. And we want to think about it in those terms, not just ministry in general, not just doing things, but we want to consider how this works as people who are part of one another. That angle in particular will shape the way that we relate. It'll shape the way we act in the church. It will shape the relationships that we form. It will shape the conduct that we have when we interact in those scenarios. It will shape what we're willing to do for one another. So we want to think about this subject this morning of ministry to one another. And what we'll find is that by following the many New Testament commands toward one another, the church will grow to maturity in Christ. By following the many New Testament commands toward one another, the church will grow to maturity in Christ. Now I'm going to give you a a, a pretty uh, extensive list of the one another's later on and uh, you can write those down as much as you're able as we go but before we do this and talk about the specific things uh, I'd like to talk first about the prerequisites 
to this. Uh, the requirements of what actually it takes before you can carry out one another's. What are the prerequisites? And you know what a prerequisite is. If you've been through uh, maybe high school or beyond, you understand that there are certain classes you have to take or certain things that you have to know before you can advance to the next level. And so it is here with one another's. There are certain things that need to be in place before any of this is even going to be able to be carried out in the first place. So there are three prerequisites that I want to show you for even being able to minister to one another in the first place in these terms of one another. And the first of these is salvation. Salvation. If you are going to minister to one another, then you need to be a Christian. Salvation is before all of this even takes place. Uh, A passage that I read last week with regard to spiritual gifts is equally important here. 1 Corinthians 12 verses 12 and 13 For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Um, We are said in Romans 12 verse 5 and Ephesians 4.25 to be members of one another. Members of one another. And we are only members of one another to the extent that we are members of Christ's body. We are united together, yes, but we are united together with Christ as the bond, with him as the the center of that. So it's not enough to have a personal relationship with one another. You must actually be joined and united to Christ as members of his body, which, as Colossians 1 tells us, is what? The church. So when you believe the gospel, you are baptized by one spirit into this one body. All believers receive the spirit of God. They are thereby baptized by the spirit of God, placed into union with Christ, and therefore placed into the body of Christ. And then, thereby, we become members of one another as part of that body of Christ. So in order to be with one another and to be part of one another, you have to be a Christian in the first place. You have to have believed the gospel. So what does that mean for you? Well, you may be here this morning and you're not a Christian. And you say, well, this therefore has no relevance for me. What do I have to do with the one another commands when I'm not even a Christian? Well, there's good news, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, which is that you can become a Christian and you need to become a Christian because this is what we all need. We all stand before God guilty of our sins. We all stand before God deserving judgment for having turned aside from his commandments and having rebelled against him and having sought our own way. And you know what this is like if you've lived your life your own way. If you haven't sought to worship God with your whole life, then you're guilty before God of not living for your creator. And because of this, you need something to deal with your sin or else you'll face the wrath of God, the consequences for this. And the grace of God is this, that he has sent his son into the world to pay for our sins. And we receive that gift of God's grace if we put our faith in him and we repent, we turn from our sins. And he is now the Lord of our lives rather than the one that we rebel against and turn away from. If you do this, you have your sins forgiven. You'll have eternal life with him. The spirit of God will dwell in you and make you part of the body of Christ and enable you to do what God says. This is the good news of the gospel. And if you don't have this, then this is the opportunity. The Bible talks about one another in terms of those who are Christians. 
And it's important for us to remember because very often people start to get lost and to drift away from this. They talk about one another language just in kind of general, broad terms. And they think about doing good to one another just really as far as doing good to our fellow man or the family that we might love or the people who are around us. Really just anything that we can possibly do. And certainly scripture has categories for doing good to other people and it commends doing good to anyone that you have the opportunity to do good to. In fact, we've read this exact text before. Uh, Galatians verse, uh, 6 verse 10, chapter 6 verse 10 says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. But then he goes on and Paul says, And especially to those who are of the household of the faith. It is great and it is good and it is commended to do good to anyone that you interact with, anyone that you come across, family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, people that are right next to you on the street, anyone that you encounter, whether they're a Christian or not. There's nothing in scripture that at all hints that we shouldn't do that, but there is a particular emphasis on those who are of the household of faith. And these are the people whom consist the one another one another's and the commands concerning one another this is what this is about so in order to fulfill the one another's the first prerequisite is salvation you need to be a christian and the people that you're doing the one another's toward also should be christians as well the second uh, prerequisite for this then not only is salvation but life together life together Um, the one another commands are essential Christian living. As you hear them read, you're going to hear them, uh, and hopefully you'll understand that these are things that are given as imperatives. Almost all of the one another ideas in the New Testament epistles are imperatives. They're instructions. They're commands. They are not just things that kind of happen, and they're also things that, that are very important. A lot of people seem to come to the Christian life and they think of it this way. They say, you know, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to listen to sermons. I might even come to church, but I'm living uprightly and morally in my own life. I'm putting off sin. I'm not violating the Ten Commandments or anything like that. And so therefore, if I'm not caught up in sin, I'm doing fine. And it's almost as if the one another instructions and the instructions for serving in the church just have no place in their their category of right and wrong. As if these things are not morally binding upon them. And so they think that they're just being good and being a good person. And not only that, but they're even trusting Christ beforehand. And then they're trying to carry out the moral commands that align with the gospel. But they forget that there are a lot of one another commands. People seem to think that they can just live rightly before God without even paying any attention to all of these things that are told that we must do in order to be faithful as Christians. I wonder if you've considered that the one another commands are commands and that your life is to be oriented in no small part around fulfilling them. We need to have life together. These commandments are then utterly dependent upon being in fellowship with other believers and specifically within a local church body. There's just simply no other way to do this functionally. You just cannot functionally carry out the one another commands if you're not with one another. 
And so this is going to require proximity. It's going to require living together in some way, not living together in the same home. And it's not going to look like Acts chapter 2 when this particular unique moment where all of these people from all of these nations were temporarily gathered together at a very unique moment in the history of the church. So it's not going to look like that, but is the heart the same? And is the effort the same to be involved with one another? This is a vital part of the Christian life. William Mounts puts it this way, quote, in Paul's ethics especially, this word, talking about one another, represents the significant fact that Christians must not live in isolation, but are called to interact with one another. To not interact with fellow believers is to live in defiance of the clear teaching of Scripture, end quote. And of course, to that I would add, not only living in clear defiance of Scripture, but also missing the benefits that come by virtue of all that we do for one another as Christians together. There is a third prerequisite in addition to salvation and life together, and it is walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. Look with me in Galatians chapter 5 for a moment. Galatians 5. And when I say walking by the Spirit, really... The direct contrast in Galatians 5 and 6 to this is walking according to the flesh. This is about morality. Morality is not exclusively an end in itself. But it is, at least in part, the means to carrying out proper interactions with one another within the body of Christ. So Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says... Through love serve one another. In verse 15, it says, If you bite and devour one another, take care you're not consumed by one another. Down in verse 26, Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. But what? In verse 1 and 2 of the next chapter. Brethren, if, even if anyone's caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What you have here is a number of different instructions about how to relate to one another within the church. And you'll notice here then in this context that the uh, the other theme that runs back and forth is the battle between the flesh and the spirit and walking by the spirit as the means to not carry out the deeds of the flesh now the galatians had got caught up in this heresy that they were supposed to believe in christ for their salvation but then walk by the law of moses for their sanctification and paul says you go to the law for righteousness then you have departed from christ don't do that What's the alternative? Well, you walk by the Spirit. You walk by faith. And he says, if you do this, verse 16, you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul is deeply concerned about morality, but he says you don't go to the law to get it. You walk by the Spirit to get it. Fundamentally here, however, what he's saying is you're not going to interact with other people in the church in a righteous way if you are living according to your fleshly desires. Now, he's answering the question about how to avoid doing that by saying walk by the Spirit, not by the law. 
But the question that he is addressing also is, how do you make sure you live godly toward one another? How do you make sure that you serve one another rather than indulge yourself? How do you make sure you help people when they sin rather than looking down upon them? How do you, how do you actually uh, not, uh, how do you not bite and devour one another? It's by following, walking by the Spirit. And the point is, if you're set on fulfilling your fleshly desires, living for yourself, just living in sin, not dealing with it, how do you expect to serve one another? Because that's going to get in the way of doing what you want. So you need to be walking by the Spirit or walking in godliness. By the way, in 1 John chapter 1, we are told that we need to walk in what? The light. We need to walk in the light and 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So for the one another to succeed, three things. You need a church where people are actually born again as Christians. You need a church where people spend time together and don't just show up to listen to a sermon and go home. And you need a church where people are equipped and exhorted and helped to live godly by learning theology and practice from the Bible. Again, we need a church full of Christians and Christians that live together and Christians that pursue godliness. You think we can do that? I think we can by God's grace. Well, as we do that, what are the specifics? Let's look then at the particulars of this, the particulars of the one another's. Now, there are five categories that I want to give you about this. Uh, five categories of particulars. And one category is what we need to avoid. And then the other four are the things we need to practice. Now, I'm going to list and read out um, a lot of passages and a lot of one another's. If you're really fast, you can write them down. But I would encourage you not to worry about that because you will have a list coming out by email this upcoming week of that so feel free to just listen and highlight the ones that you want uh, that you want to make particular note of but uh, we'll begin with the prohibitions toward one another these warnings these practices that we need to avoid we need first of all not to judge one another Romans 14 13 therefore let us not judge one another anymore but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Along with this, we are not to speak against one another. Just like rail against or pass judgment on them. James 4.11, don't speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. He says you need to be careful the attacks that you make verbally upon other believers and how you pass judgment upon them. We saw the contrast to this already in Galatians 6. If someone's caught in a sin, what do you do? You help them. You help them. And, of course, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5 that there is a sense in which the church is to judge those who are unrepentant sinners. He even says, do you not judge those who are in the church? Like, are you not doing your job? And yet... When someone has simply sinned and they need help and they're not stubborn and they don't keep escalating it, what are we supposed to do? 
We're not supposed to pass judgment on them. And when someone has a different opinion in their conscience about something, as long as they're not foisting that requirement upon us, which Romans 14 forbids, as long as it's just their conviction before God, we're not supposed to judge them for that. We're supposed to help them, not to cause them to stumble. Romans 14, 13. Um, a second prohibition, don't bite and devour one another. Galatians 5, 15, we read this earlier. Don't bite and devour one another. And he says, watch out if you do this. If you bite and devour, devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. Galatians 5.26 also. Galatians 5.26, we are not to challenge and envy one another. When you think about other people in the church, are you jealous of them? Are you going against them? Do you want what they get to do? Do you want the friends that they have in the church? Do you wish that their friends were your friends? Do you wish that the things that they had belonged to you? Do you want people to think of you better than they think of you now and instead to have a kind of reputation that someone else has? He says, don't challenge and envy one another. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Colossians 3.9 tells us very simply, do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another. And James 5.9 says, do not complain brethren against one another don't complain and grumble against one another we read in philippians chapter 2 we're supposed to do all things without grumbling or disputing so don't complain against one another that's the first category then prohibitions toward one another and if you have these practices going on in your heart cut them out deal with them take them before god and resolve instead to replace them with what's next secondly the second particular is Love for one another. Love for one another. Three passages to turn to here. Uh, but as you do, first of all, John 13. Turn to John 13. Love is the most prominent instruction among the one another's. And really, you might even say that it is the most important because it encompasses so much. And it is at the heart of everything. We'll see this in just a moment. But in John 13, Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed, gave this instruction. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a testimony to the world that you belong to Jesus Christ. Not if you love Jesus, though we should. But if you love each other, see, the, the church often gets us backwards and they think, well, you'll know, people will know that you're Jesus' disciples if you love the world. And I don't mean loving the world in the First John 2 sense of loving all that the world offers. What I mean is if you show love to the world, well, then the world will know that you're really Christians and that you're faithful Christians. And that's what they tell Christians to do. They will say, if you're a Christian, you ought to be doing this thing and that thing and serving this and building this institution and doing all of these other kinds of things. And conveniently, those line up with exactly the things that would be nice for them if they were being done. But what the Bible actually says is the way people will know that you belong to Jesus Christ is if you love one another. That is the testimony, a love that goes beyond what you would expect to see among people that otherwise are not connected. 
People that otherwise don't have things in common. People that come from different backgrounds and different persuasions to join together in Christ and then actually love one another. That is a testimony of God's grace. This is how people will know that you belong to Jesus Christ. Not by doing all of the things that they would exactly naturally expect, but by doing what is very surprising, which is to love each other. This, by the way, is not necessarily a new commandment in full. First uh, John 2 verse 7 says it's not really a new commandment. It's a commandment which has been from the beginning. It's really just an extension of the love your neighbor command from Moses that Moses wrote about in the law. But it is particularly focused on the one another who belong to Christ. The reason it's new is because it's focused on Christians. Love between and among Jesus' disciples is the unique component of this. And so it's not so much the command to love that is new when Jesus gives it, but the emphasis on doing this toward one another. 1 Peter 4.8 says, uh, well, let's turn there actually, sorry. 1 Peter 4.8 is the next passage when considering uh, love for one another. He says in verse 7, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't this obvious when you think about it? Love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean love covers them up and pretends like things don't happen and just glosses over harmful things that are done, especially to other people. Don't let this be an excuse to say, well, we're just going to love and we'll never confront sin or address sin when that needs to be done. What he's saying is the bond of love is like the shock absorber for a lot of wrongdoings. You know what this is like? If you really love someone and they do something wrong to you, you feel differently toward them than you do the person that you don't even know that does the same exact thing. When someone loves another person, there is a lot of grace that is more easily given. And so Peter is saying this needs to be there. You need to love one another. If the love relationship is not there, if it's not strong, division is going to happen very easily, even over the pettiest of things. So this love needs to be then in some very real senses unconditional. Unconditional. Not inactive or passive. Not excusing or apathetic toward other people's character or their maturity. Not unconcerned that people would grow in grace and godliness. But rather unquestionable. Meaning that People know that you love them, regardless of what they do. And that doesn't mean you're okay with everything that they do. It simply means that you cultivate the kind of love for other people that they know that they're loved by you. Colossians 3.14 puts it this way, Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The perfect bond of unity. One more uh, place where this is given, Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. In spelling out how the Christian life ought to be lived, beginning in chapter 12, uh, Paul, on the heels of talking about paying taxes of all things, says in verse 8, 
of Romans 13, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Why? For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, and then he lists a bunch of commandments from the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it's summed up in this saying. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. There is two. Uh, in, when Jesus is asked what the great commandments in the law are, Jesus says there are two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. When he says here to love your neighbor as yourself, he says this sort of encompasses all of the specific commands toward other people on the horizontal level. And here what he's saying is the things that are forbidden are by, they they are uh, carried out as a byproduct of actually positively showing love toward other people. Now, we don't need to think that all we have to do is go out and create our own definition and specification of love and what it looks like and then do that and then we can ignore the rest of the Bible and its commands. We, we can't do that. We have to shape our understanding of what love actually is by what the scripture says. However, if we love our neighbor, we will not do wrong to that neighbor. So this is why he says, he who loves, verse 8, has fulfilled the law. It is the desire of God for us that we would fulfill the essence of his commandments. He wants us to do this and he wants us to show love and to fulfill in the process um, what is sometimes called the law or even in other places what is referred to as the law of Christ uh, or the royal law according to the scripture. James talks about this and uh, He says this in chapter 2, verse 8. If you're fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Galatians 6, 2. We we read about this earlier where he says we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So when we love our neighbor, we are fulfilling Christ's law. People think, that they can go, listen to a sermon, go on their way during the week, obey the commandments of God's moral law, and then they are fulfilling God's commandments for them. But the Bible says, if we don't love one another, and if our morality is not worked out within the life of the local church, our morality is at best incomplete. We read about this elsewhere in 1 Thessalonians 4.9, 1 Thessalonians 3.2, and we're told in 1 Peter 1.22 to fervently love one another from the heart. Fervently. So the question then might be in your mind, how can I choose to love somebody? How can I choose to love one another? Uh, doesn't this just come up from the heart? Well, it's true. In one sense, um, we have to work at this. We have to actually make sure that we do things even when we might not feel them. So on the one hand, we realize that this is a command and we act in love no matter what the situation may be. And we follow the example of Jesus Christ who most certainly didn't feel like going to the cross. And yet out of his love for us, despite feeling so much grief and agony over it that he sweated drops of blood, despite that, He still loved us in his actions enough to go to the cross and he gave himself up for us. But at the same time, not only do we realize it's a command and we simply do it out of 
uh, a desire for the other person's good, but we also do what 1 Peter 1.22 says, and we cultivate a fervent love in our heart for one another. Regardless of where we are now and how we feel toward each other, we need to cultivate this true love together in our hearts. And so you think of who they are in Christ. You think about what your future is with them in glory. You think about them as God's precious child, as someone that belongs to him, as your spiritual brother, your spiritual sister. You look upon them with compassion and mercy as the same kind of person in need of forgiveness as you are. And you get to know them and you talk to them and you pray for them and you cultivate this kind of love that as first peter 4 says covers a multitude of sins we can't just stand off at a distance and not love one another and expect that things are going to go the way they ought to go in the church they may function a little bit you may be able to do some things but the only way to make sure that the church is functioning firing on all cylinders as it were is to cultivate a true and sincere love for one another in our hearts. So love for one another, this most prominent command. I hope that you're cultivating this and that you will continue to do so. Now I want to give you three more categories here and I will just list these for you. But uh, first of all, or I'll list particular ways under each heading. Um, Attitudes toward one another. Attitudes toward one another, namely the way that you think about other people in the church. This is not so much the way that you act toward them, but it will influence the way you act toward them. So uh, attitudes toward one another. Be devoted to one another, Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another. Um, Be of the same mind toward one another, Romans 12.16. Be of the same mind, which has there to do with humility and not arrogance and pride Uh, have care for one another first corinthians 12 25 have care for one another as fellow members of the body Uh, regard one another as more important than yourself think about other people as more important than yourself philippians 2 verse 3 regard others as more important than yourself 1 Peter 4, 9, be hospitable to one another. Be hospitable to one another. By the way, he says, without complaint. Be hospitable. And then show humility. Show humility. 1 Peter 5, 5. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. These attitudes of being devoted, being of the same mind, caring for each other, thinking of each other as more important, being humble, being hospitable. These are the kinds of things that should color your relationships with one another, these attitudes in the way that you think. Um, Another element of this would be then relational practices toward one another. Relational practices. And this is getting closer to the action that you take toward people, but it has to do with the way that you interact with them and the principles that govern your interaction, not just the way you think about them in general that might be applied, but the way that you interact with them. So relational practices toward one another. Um, Give preference. Give preference. Romans 12.10. Accept one another. Accept one another. Romans 15.10. 17 we will we will be different than one another and though we want to come to the unity unity of the faith we accept one another and uh, we don't look upon the things that naturally make us different we accept one another Um, we greet one another with a holy kiss or with a a kiss of love it was a standard practice of the day 
to greet one another with a kiss rather than the way that we might naturally do it with a handshake or a hug. And uh, the New Testament emphasis of this toward one another is that this is to come from an attitude of being with one another and of holiness and of this environment that we live in and of loving each other. And so rather than a standard mention of greeting in the New Testament, Paul and Peter urge Christians to do this with these particular attitudes of love and holiness in mind. Romans 16, 16 and 1 Peter 5, 14 as examples of this. We are to show tolerance toward one another and bear with one another. Ephesians 4, 2, Colossians 3, 13, there is a patience that is involved, putting up with things that we don't like in other people. We are, according to Ephesians 4.32, to be kind, be kind to one another. Be subject to one another, Ephesians 5.21, and all the roles that we are supposed to carry out. Sometimes we're in authority, but other times we're supposed to be in submission. And then, finally, to forgive one another. Forgive. Ephesians 4.32 Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Listen to this, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. We are to forgive. Number five, finally then we get into the actual activities. Actions toward one another. Actions. First of all, build up one another. Build up one another. Romans 14.19. Instead of getting in the way of other people's faith, we build up their faith. Secondly, we serve one another. Just in general, we serve one another. In Galatians 5.13, we're told to do this in contrast with fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Rather than selfish pursuit, we are to serve one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6 verse 2. Bear the burdens of other people instead of looking down on them in their sin. We are to comfort and encourage each other. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 and 5.11. Encourage, comfort one another. We are to seek good for one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.15. In contrast to repaying them with evil for what they've done to us. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us we are to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. In contrast to shrinking back from the church or drifting away. We are to encourage one another and to think about it even ahead of time, how we might help others. And then finally, mutual prayer and help for our sins. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. This is in contrast to an individualistic, uh, private Christian life. We help each other and we pray for each other. Let me give you a couple of notes on the practice of the one another's as we wrap up and move into our time of communion together. The practice of the one another's. Um, first of all, just a clarification about quantity. Um, when we come to commands in the Bible, some things are very clear in what they forbid. Other things tell us to do things, but we say, how much do we need to do? And I think it's just important for us to acknowledge that these one another commands are largely speaking about the attitudes and the way that we interact with people. But at the same time, there are very practical commands for action. And we just need to understand that this is not something where we are literally doing all of these commands all of the time. 
It doesn't say that you are to show hospitality to one another four times a week. A lot of the one another commands are things that we ought to be cultivating and aiming for and trying to maximize. But we also need to recognize that there is sort of a juggling act that goes on. And so if you're not consistently or constantly doing every single one of these things at every moment of the day, that's not really the point of how some of them work, in particular the actions. But we are to look for opportunities to do this, to put ourselves in positions where we do this, and to not neglect them out of simply laziness or not wanting to do them. So we ought to try to increase, we ought to try to maximize our opportunity to do this and to do good to one another. Uh, but we just need to make sure that we are not measuring ourselves by some kind of scoreboard that we place upon Upon ourselves as to a quantity of how often we do them, in particular the commands that have to do with action toward one another. So that's the clarification about quantity. Now let me give you just a few, a very few practical ideas just to get your mind turning on how you might do this, and some of them might be obvious, but start with just doing all kinds of things that get you involved in other people's lives. So in addition to attending church, staying after coming before, talking to people in between, meeting people that you don't know, striking up conversations with visitors and strangers, get together and talk to people. Um, attend a small group regularly, not because you have to check the box of a small group, but because this is where you're able to get to know the kinds of things that one another needs. And you're able to start to develop the kind of interactions where the one another commands start to come alive and be very relevant and practical. You might even hang out together for no reason other than to spend time together in fellowship. And in fact, I would encourage this just to be together as Christians, to be together with one another. And this then, if you're practicing the one another's, will start to be filled and influenced by the word of God, even if you're not sitting down to have some kind of a Bible study at that time. Um, another way is to pray for one another by using the church directory in your prayer time. Go, use the kinds of things where you have lists of people and you're actually going through and you're remembering people and you pray for them and you think about them and you ask how they're doing and you encourage them and follow up with them as they have told you things to pray for. Um, use your time to get together in personal ministry. If you're out during the day, if you have a lunch break, if you can get together in the morning, meet together with people over breakfast or lunch and to encourage and pray for them and to build them up. Um, be cautious about the way that you tend to interact with people naturally and how you feel when someone does wrong to you. And watch for these one another instructions about how you should respond instead of the way that you naturally talk about them or feel about them. And instead, bring scripture to bear on those relationships and those attitudes that you have. And uh, one more thing is to pray for and cultivate a love for one another. Ask God to develop in you a love for other people in the church to the extent that you don't have it. There's one more, which is what we're moving to now. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, wait for one another. Wait for one another. Say, how do I fulfill that command? Well, it's not exactly the way it is because they were um, not waiting for each other in the Corinthian church. They were actually eating food and they were even getting drunk uh, instead of being together for communion. But the point is, it's communion. It's together. We are here with one another to do this. So as you're partaking of, excuse me, of communion today, once again, this is something we are doing together as a body. This is not just an individual thing between you and the Lord, though it is in part that. But it's also that we are doing this together in fellowship as a church with one another. So I'm going to ask Brian if you would come now and lead us through the Lord's Supper together. <clears throat> 